Welcome to the Seek Together podcast, presented by Dow. Together, we'll discuss how imagining a better tomorrow starts with asking bold questions, having honest conversations, and working together to tackle barriers in technology and in society. This is the Seek Together podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, and welcome to the Seek Together podcast, where we talk about the importance of collaboration to solve challenges and make progress in the space of product innovation, inclusion, sustainability, and digital. On today's episode, we'll focus on the role of digital in a business-to-business environment. And we're joined by Dan Futter, Chief Commercial Officer at Dow, and our very special guest, Mehdi Miramati, Senior Partner at McKinsey & Company. Welcome to both of you. It's such a pleasure to have you on the Seek Together podcast. Appreciate it, everyone. Hey, thanks, Eva. Delighted to see you both. Awesome. All right. So we're going to get right to it because we have a lot to cover. Why don't we start with introductions? And Dan, how about you first? Please do tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your role at Dow, what inspired your career, and what brought you to Dow specifically. Thanks, Eva. Well, I've been around in the industry for about 30 years now. Started my career at Exxon, spent a long time at Dow Corning, and then through the acquisition of uh, of Dow Corning by Dow, I've been working at Dow. And if I had to try to throw a net over 30 years of experience, they've been mostly focused on what is it like to be a customer dealing with my business? How easy is it for me to find products? How easy is it for me to buy products? What is my experience after purchase? You know, how do I go around specking new innovations? It's all been around thinking of those main customer journeys that uh, that customers go through in trying to do business with us and trying to understand where are all the tough parts in those journeys, where are all the good parts, and how can you make them as easy, enjoyable, and as effective as they can be. And, uh, you know, I've had the fortune to approach that from a customer service perspective in my career, from a technical perspective, from an innovation perspective, and obviously over the last three or four years as, as the chief commercial officer, thinking about the entire thing, right, how it is that everything that we do at Dow, whether it's directly visible to the customer or indirectly impacting the customer, how that affects experiences. And and latterly, and I suppose really, really relevant for this conversation, you know, thinking about how those journeys are changing because digital is is playing a bigger and bigger role and and thinking about how those on and off ramps between people and and machine, how those work to create still those really intuitive experiences. But that, that's how I'd sum it up, Eva. Wow, you summed up 30 years in about a couple of minutes. That's amazing. I I will tell you that customer centricity is one of the touch points at Dow is obviously being served by you. So Dan, thank you so much for all of your hard work. And I know you don't go it alone. And one of those people who's been instrumental in helping the Dow experience is our guest. Mehdi, we're so happy to have you here today. Would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your role at McKinsey, and what inspired your career path, and, and really what drives you to do what you do every day. Absolutely. Thank you, Eva. Uh, yeah, so I'm a senior partner based in our Austin office. Uh, I've been with the firm for about 15 years or so. Uh, and about 14 years of that, I think I've spent with specialty chemicals and chemicals uh, players. And so I spend a lot of my time broadly in B2B, but in particular in the chemical space. And particularly in the last 10 years or so, obviously, the industry is going through a radical transformation um, you know, in lieu of obviously digital. To me, what's quite fascinating about digital is, particularly in chemicals, is first of all, there's a lot of nuances and sophistication in the 
B2B space that you have to take into account when you think about integrating digital in, in how, 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 our, how, in essence, customers think, how companies perform, and, and it's, it's a very end-to-end -end topic, right? It applies to operations, applies to supply chain, applies to, obviously, commercial, which is a bit of a more of a focus of this conversation. Uh, the second, oftentimes, uh, kind of, you know, introducing digital in an organization involves not just bringing the tools and the assets that you bring, but it also in, involves kind of looking at the business model and the operating model, how we perform, what's our value proposition for the customers, right? And really going through that strategic exercise as well of thinking through what is ultimately our value for, for the customers. And that gets me very excited because it gets to the kind of the disruptive nature of digital. It's not just about automating what we currently do. It's really about thinking forward, thinking about how to change uh, what we offer and how to improve it. Well, I, I got to say, you make a distinction that re leads beautifully into my next question, because we've all bought something online, right? All of us, pair of pants, bath products, whatever it is. And so we know how digital innovation has changed the game for consumers, the convenience of it. You know, we can search and buy and, and track pretty much anything we would want to all from our kitchen table, if we'd like, right? But it's a very different thing when you're talking about business to business as opposed to business to consumer. And I would love to hear from both of you what your take is on the adoption of digital in the B2B space to improve customer experiences. And, and Mehdi, why don't we start with you? Because I would love for you to give us a general overview based on your expansive knowledge of, of a lot of companies across this industry. Yeah, yeah. no, no, absolutely. So let, let's maybe start with what's, uh, you know, what, what B2C and B2B have in common. Uh, there is obviously a generational shift that's taking place. And no matter who does the survey, we see that you know, obviously younger generations are more comfortable with digital. And that's something we see in the uh, in the sales side of things, commercial side of things in B2B as well, right? So that's kind of one. There's a second component around kind of what pandemic did, right? And the level to which it accelerated digitalization. You, you know, I, I, I think, you know, 10, 15 years from now, we can kind of look back and 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 really estimate what it did. But in at least in our view, it really pushed things forward by a couple of decades, right? And just that comfort level that people have, right? So that's kind of a second similarity between the two that's going to continue. Uh, but in the, the challenge in B2B is that structurally there are nuances that you can't really incorporate digital as easy as, uh, as, as perhaps uh, some of the B2C players have been able to do and scale up fast. So I'll just give, give a few examples, right? First of all, uh, price transparency is a big issue in the, in the B2B space, right? I mean, you go on a site, you go on Amazon, you check different products, it's very easy. Therefore, scaling that, it's easy. So you really have one site for all people signing in, in essence, right? You can't do that here, right, in the B2B space, the site really needs to become individualized quickly for different customers, right? So that's kind of one difference. The second one is around oftentimes B2B offerings, whether it's products or services, uh, or services, they are quite differentiated. You know, they're quite well-designed. They're specific for a specific use. Uh, and so they're not as readily scalable. Don't get me wrong, there are certainly many products in the B2B space that are, you know, what we would call in the in the chemical industry commoditized, but broadly in the industrial 
there are many products that are at scale and we sell them at scales. You kind of make them based on the forecast you have for the next year and you go that way. But quite a large portion of ultimately products and services in the P2P space are really engineered, differentiated. That again, you can just imagine, you, you know, you can't just have a site, have an inventory of this and just go at it, right? You, you really have to think about how to work with customers, to think about the needs they have, how to adjust based on how their demands change, right? All of that, right? So that's kind of the second component. Um, and a third one that I do think it's important is uh, the, the supply chain side of things on the B2B space could become very complex, right, uh, quickly, right? So you can just think about, uh, you know, if you are an OEM in, a, in the auto industry and you think about different components you would need to build the part that you are building. That comes from many different parts of the world. It's quite, each part is highly engineered and differentiated, right? And so just think about that complexity that gets introduced in the B2B for, for, a, for kind of a regular OEM in the auto industry. And, and you have the same in the chemicals industry, you have the same in pharmaceuticals, right? The sophistication of supply chain makes digitalization a bit more difficult, right? I don't know, Dan, if that resonates with, with what you're observing. You know, it, it does. It's funny. I was I was going back through my own personal experience, which I think is a great place to start when you're thinking about how will B2B work for e-commerce. So I remember if you took me back 10 to 12 years ago when the banks first started to go online, I remember being really against the idea that I couldn't go into a branch, that I had to go, you know, call somebody, first of all. And then from calling somebody, it turned to, oh, yeah, you have to do that online. And again, I was really resistant to doing it. I was always looking for where's the phone number so I can call somebody. Now, if you ask me today to go into a branch, or call somebody, I'd be really <laughs> irritated. Right? Because I've got so used to being able to self-serve because right. I don't want to wait for that call back. I don't want to talk to somebody who doesn't understand my problem, right? That our tastes have changed. And I don't think that just because we have our private lives and then we drive to work and start working in a B2B company like Dow, that those tastes change as I go through the door. <laughs> They're still the same. I want it to be really easy, really enjoyable, really effective. And I want to be able to do as much as possible myself before I have to ask somebody. And so I think you're spot on, actually, Mehdi, when you're talking about the scale opportunities are in, are in rec recognizing that reality, that, that the type of experience we want isn't different because we turn up at work, right? We still want to create that. And then you've got to think about, okay, well, the journey's changed though. And your example, the last one is a great example because you don't get into specifying what type of shoe you want from Nike, right? Or what type of banking service I want from my bank, right? You 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 buy what's on the shelf. And, and that's a little different from the B2B space. So I think where you're thinking about just things that are transacted. I know this product, I want to buy this product, I buy it, you know, and you deliver it. It is really similar to the to the B2C space, right? It's how can you make that as easy and durable and effective as possible for me? And where it is, I want to do the next innovation, I want to work with you, then you've got to make sure that both bits work, right? So if somebody comes looking on our website and they are interested in a technology field that we, that we obviously have expertise in, how do you then draw them in so they get a chance to talk to the expert? Because there's only so far that the information on the Dow.com can go or any.com, right? So how do you make sure, again, as I mentioned earlier, those on and off ramps between people and digital are so easy, intuitive and effective that, that our customers, when they come looking and take an interest in, in 
us can find the expert to talk to that help them in their design of whatever system or formulation they're working on. That's the critical piece. And I, I think, you know, if you also look back at what you were saying about, you know, the, the, the broader e-commerce transactional experience, the Amazon, I mean, and Amazon is a perfect reference because they've been so brilliant at it. Um, one of the things that works brilliantly in the B2C space and was super hard to pull off in the B2B space is, is the product available when I want to order it? And can you confirm when I'll get it, when I, play, I press the button? That is super difficult for all sorts of reasons we can discuss in the B2B world. But it has been the sort of guiding light of the experience we've been trying to create at Dow. And, uh, and it is that when you order, you have a real-time order confirmation. We can unravel that one as this conversation goes on, quite how difficult that is to pull off. But I think what the B2C world has done there has been amazing because it makes it really difficult for us guys to emulate. Well, I want to hone in on something you said. It's very different, you know, than just an Amazon purchase and, you know, from purchase to delivery. Clearly, there are so many benefits to embracing this digital world that we all live in. But specifically in the context of materials and chemicals, you know, it, it's one thing to order and track a, a pizza delivery using digital tools or, or something on Amazon. There are a lot of complicating factors, as you suggested, Dan, when you are talking about, you know, large quantities of chemicals making their way to customers, for instance, maybe very far away. So, how can e-commerce work in this specific industry? Is it re really viable? Um, Dan, I'm going to get back to you, but Mehdi, what do you think in, in terms of looking at the history and, and what we've been going through? I know you said it's been spurred along because of COVID, but how viable is it? Yeah, I, I mean, two answers in my view. One is if you look at the technologies that we need to make that happen. So we just talked about kind of supply chain transparency, availability, right? Uh, those are getting more and more mature and reliable because you know, on the part of any company, one of the big question is, um, I want to disrupt, I want to digitalize, but I also don't want to lose my customers, right? So there's a decision point where you say, okay, I now feel comfortable enough to go at scale relying on this technology, right? Um, and so, you know, kind of first point is the technology on, on, the side, on that side is becoming more mature, more reliable, right? The second, I, I don't think on the B2B side, broadly, industrials or chemicals, I don't think we have a choice. I think when you look at where ultimately the customers are going uh, and what they expect to see, uh, I think they'll be patient, but I don't think they'll, you know, 10, 15 years from now, I think expectations are quite different. And, and it's interesting. So we've been doing, since 2016, we've been doing a, survey about kind of customer B2B customer experience in omni-channel. And two insights are quite interesting. The first is over the years, when you look at preference for uh, digital, consistently, you know, do you prefer digital interaction, particularly digital self-serve versus traditional interactions in the, cost, in the context of customers, the percentages just keep going up and up, right? So initially, I think when we did this in 2016, in the B2B space, we're in the order of 40% preferred digital, right? And now we're we are looking at close to 80%, right? And, and what's interesting is that we've developed what we call a rule of thirds, which is quite interesting. It's a bit of a post-pandemic thing that we are seeing, that if you ask customers in the B2B space, if you prefer traditional, uh, kind of way of interacting with your vendor or um, digitally enabled, but access to human or 
full digital, uh, full service and self-serve. Uh, we say third and a third and a third, that roughly a third of customers prefer to go traditional still. And when you break that down, you actually see that generational notion that I mentioned. It's very clear that uh, about a third prefer a digitally enabled experience. So they prefer to have, but they want to have access to, to kind of human beings if they have questions, et cetera. And a third would really prefer a self-serve, the type that Dan, Dan described. I was going to say, are you saying that Dan's really young? Is that what we're concluding? <laughs> that's, 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 that's a, yeah. I'm always comfortable with that because that means I'm young as well. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but that's, it's quite actually interesting that now we're looking at, you know, more than two thirds preferring to start with digital. In the B2B context, right? So the, the, the people who were surveyed are people in the procurement departments in the B2B space, whether industrials, chemicals, pharma, all these spaces, right? And so I do think it's important. So I don't know if we have a choice of not shifting further. Uh, the question, though, is that how fast we can go there, right? And fa how fast can, can we reliably we can go there? Because, you know, you could have many pilots, where you experience this, but it's very different when you, you know, and as Dan knows, and, and a lot of the uh, uh, clients that, that, I, that I've seen, scaling digital technologies is never easy, mm. right? And, and particularly in the B2B space, because you constantly have to think about that individualization, that differentiation, uh, and, and it's a real effort. It's a multi-year effort, right? Okay, so Dan, how fast are we going to get there? What's That's your experience at Dow? Fantastic question. Yeah, I mean, Mehdi's right. I've been thinking about that for quite a while. So the challenges are common, right? How do I make a product real-time available for a customer, right? But the the specifics of what it takes to, to have the data integrity to pull that off vary product to product. And why? Okay, some, some products are flammable, right? Hazardous to transmit, some are not. Some products are held in inventory, some are manufactured to order. Some products are just manufactured in one location. Some are a combination of supply chains that may involve multiple locations, maybe even multiple geographies. Some are sold only in one country and not in another country because of regulatory um, requirements. And some are sold in drums versus bulk versus in packages. And and some are returnable and some are not, right? So you'd start to combine up all of these individual characteristics of products. And you can start to see why it gets difficult to be able to say, just because I can do one, now I can do 10,000. Right. And that is the challenge, right? It's tens of thousands of products and different package forms that we have to be able to accommodate. And so <clears throat> I think the first battle is understanding um, that those things are in common. You have to think about all the things I just listed out. The second thing is then building in the robustness in our processes right, the, the standardization of our processes so that at any point in time, we can trust the data associated with any transaction. I always think of it like this, right, is when you, when you press order, you know, you have the little egg timer spin, what's happening is the egg timer is going through a series of questions, is going, is that product here and available? Do you have a price set for that product? Can we get that product there in time for what the customer's asking for? Are there any other considerations? It's going through a series of questions. And if it gets through all those questions well, right, the egg timer spins fast and you go, yep, confirm order. Now, any one of those data points is wrong. The computer doesn't know. It still confirms. Or any one of those data points is missing. 
the egg timer keeps spinning, right? So having all of those series of questions lined up for every single product and every single situation takes a while. So to your first question, Eva, here's how I'd answer it. It has been in Dow's experience, even though we had an excellent framework inherited from the Dow Corning organization in, in Ziameter.com, even with the knowledge of how to do all those things, actually getting the data in place, we've been working now for about three years, successively adding more and more products onto Dow.com that customers can transact in that real-time confirmation way. And I would guess it'll take us another two to three years before every product that we sell in every geography can be bought by our customers. So we're adding them every months, but it is a long journey just because of that data challenge. Of course it is. And obviously in this industry, it's very customizable, as you had said. It's not just buying the, the three different kinds of Nike shoes or whatever that are available. But you mentioned data several times, and I'm wondering how we can leverage the data in this industry uh, to form those better business processes. And I would love to hear from both of you on this. Whoever wants to jump in first. I'll go crack at it first because yeah. I'm living this every day. <laughs> so probably the biggest thing is the is the continuum from, you know, you imagine most things we make have a lead time. If you add having to buy the raw materials and the packaging first, having to schedule manufacturing, making them and then shipping them to the customer and then them being used, it's typically somewhere between three and four months, right, on average for our products. And so the continuum that runs from us predicting when the demand will be there and then manufacturing to that demand and being able to have the material available when the customer wants to buy it is absolutely critical. And that is a data game. So the data starts with how well, based on understanding market indices, can we forecast what the demand will be by customer or by region or by market? And then can we then make sure we buy raw materials on time, buy the packaging on time, schedule the manufacturing, make the product, put it in inventory, and not then be left holding the baby because nobody orders, <laughs> right? That is that is super important. It's where the money is, right? Having the material available when the customer wants it, that's revenue for us. And it's equally really impactful for us on working capital because it takes a lot of cash to fund preparation for that demand. I tell you, during during the time of, of COVID, if the world didn't understand how important forecasting was, it understood it by the end because pretty much every historical model went out of the window. And so we started to look really seriously at trying to get that full continuum from market demand to manufacturing in beautiful honed alignment. I would say even we're not there yet. We're constantly working on improving that. But that's, for me, if you've had to pick one data game, that's the biggest data game of them all. It's not the only one, but it's the biggest one of them all because it is the backbone of how the industry fulfills the most important promise to customers, which is reliable supply and material availability. Well, we appreciate all your efforts because I know it has has not been easy, especially during this time of COVID and post-COVID. Um, even for Amazon, right? I mean, if you right, tried ordering from Amazon. Amazon three or four months into COVID, it was <laughs> I was just going to say Prime doesn't yeah. mean two-day delivery anymore. No. Um, no. <laughs> so, Matty, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well? uh, look, Dan is spot on. Dan is spot on. I would just add two two typical challenges that nowadays we're seeing with a lot of our with a lot of our clients on our side. At least one is still kind of the issue of interconnecting data sets, right? Oftentimes, a large company has whole set of, the supply chain group is gathering its own data, right? The commercial team is gathering its own data, right? Uh, operations, obviously, and how do you interconnect and actually create, you know, the term data lake, we've all heard the data lake, 
it's way easier said than done. It's actually in process, it's painful to do, right? And so just that still continues to be a big both opportunity and barrier. Um, and, and the second one is looking in the B2B space related to that individualization. There, a lot of times you may not have sufficient data enough to be able to extrapolate and, and draw forecasts. And so one of the things that we're seeing a lot recently in the last two, three years is generating synthetic data in essence. So in essence, you use the data you currently have and you believe is reliable to create similar data just for the purpose of training your models, whether you're running machine learning models or you're just doing simple kind of more classic analysis, you just need larger samples, right? And sometimes you can actually, so this whole notion of synthetic data generation is becoming very important in the B2B space, just because in some spaces you may not have sufficiently large data set based on prior experience. Yeah, and since we don't have Nostradamus around anymore. Okay, so you have all been talking about a lot of complications in this specific industry with respect to digital innovation, but you're working hard at it to advance it, even coming up with synthetic data. I just want to throw another crick in the curve. Um, you had mentioned earlier, Mehdi, that e-commerce really drives transparency on things like product availability and pricing. And so I would love to hear from both of you on how you think the rules have to change in terms of how B2B companies collaborate and share information with customers and partners so that we can advance yeah. this goal that we're all trying to achieve. Yeah, I, I can maybe say, say a few words and then Dan, please add. But, uh, you know, look, I've always thought when a company thinks about its digital strategy broadly, um, in some ways, there are two pathways to do it. There's a defensive way of doing it, which is, you know, the principle here is I don't want to lose the customers I have. I'm seeing my competitors moving ahead on this, right? And so in essence, you are doing this primarily. Digital becomes a complement to what you do currently. It's not a replacement. It's not a disruptor. It's a complement. It's an enabler, mm -hmm. right? And by and large, you're using it as a way to defend or protect what you otherwise would do, separate from digital, right? That is your strategy. There's a second way to do that, which I think we're going to see more and more in the B2B space, which is using digital as an offensive tool, right? As a way to go after new customers, as a way to go after price premium, as a way to find and broaden new markets, right? I think in the B2B space broadly, and particularly in chemicals, so far, really for the last 10, 15 years, digital has been by and large a defensive enabler, right? We, we are not seeing a lot of the big chemical players using it to open new markets or open new boundaries or change business models. If I had to guess and just seeing what I'm seeing kind of like across different players, I, I think the next decade will be different in that sense, in the sense that we're going to see new business models. We're going to see more ambition, if you will, in using digital to do things diff fundamentally differently than, than the way we have done in the past. Okay, so Dan, looking into the next 10 years, beyond that two to three that you're saying you're going to achieve perfection, what does the future look like for digital and e-commerce and B2B? Yeah, I, I I think there's some really really cool things happening. I'll pick on that first one that Mehdi described. So oh, yes, I think I think he's spot on. Right? Is that mostly we're transacting today? Already know I want to buy that. My price has been set by a contract, so I'll see it behind the registration code, but nobody else will see it. And I'm going to go and order that product. Um, we're not yet at the point where you might be selling like an airline seat. 
right, where there's some algorithm running in the background that says, okay, based on supply and demand, my price is going to change on when I want to order that thing. So the whole idea of selling online in the B2B space hasn't really been broached yet. So I think that's the first thing that will change, and it'll involve price transparency, back to, to Mehdi's point. You know, there are some things that have already changed, which are incredibly cool, and we, we're really just starting to learn how they work in the B2B space. And they're, they're very common with what's happening in B2C, right? So you go online, let's say you search on something you want to buy, and then all of a sudden your email's full of full of proposals from people who have that type of product, right? Well, I'm always sort of wondering, how do they know that? But anyway, that that world is definitely emerging in the B2B space as well. So trying to target time and place interesting offerings to customers who are searching for solutions. Um, we've gone the first step down that road in Dow. I mean, if you looked at us pre-COVID, we did hardly any, a handful of digital demand generation campaigns. Right now, we're running over 500 a year, right? It is our mm-hmm. predominant way of outreaching to customers. And, you know, where in the past we used to get something like 5% of the leads that the company was working on through Dow.com, it's now 65%, right? Our world has changed so fast, so dramatically. Mm-hmm. We're still trying to get our arms around what are the implications for promotion and digital in the future but i you know if i sort of cast cast even further i think the types of questions that customers are still asking us directly are things they'll want answers to through the dot com through self-service and that's things like especially in the sustainability arena what what solutions have you got on biodrive what solutions have you got with physical recycle can you tell me the carbon footprint of the products i'm buying and how could i make that better in the future i think a lot of the change that's coming is is on providing transparency of information around the sustainability of the products and systems that that we're engaged in Nettie? I, I yeah i would just add what one one thing that i think it's critical in the particularly in the b2b space it's it's the importance of educating and retraining the marketing and sales leaders, the supply chain leaders, et cetera, around this new paradigm, right? So if you think about, just let's just pick marketing and sales. Um, excellence in marketing and sales is fundamentally different if you do it in a traditional fashion than if you do it in a hybrid fashion than if you do it fully digital. Fundamentally, the set of practices that, you know, you go to any bookstore and you pick a book on, excellence in marketing and sales, the things people study for 50, 60 years to be a great sales leader to, or to be a great marketeer, uh, they may not be as relevant anymore the more we push, when we move toward a hybrid model or, um, or fully digital model. And one of the things that I, I was speaking with one of my clients, one of the things, analysis that they did uh, you know, with their own sales force to see what happened, uh, he said, uh, the consistency in rating for their sales team year to year was something close to 95%. In other words, if you were rated as a high performer in 2018, 95% you were right, right, you would be rated as a high performer in 2019. That consistency went to 48% when the pandemic happened. Because all of a sudden, there were a whole bunch of people who could do hybrid better then, you know, so I, I do think, and that applies, obviously, we use the marketing and sales examples, that applies to supply chain, that applies to operations. I think we're going to see a lot of new leaders emerge, but also a new set of best practices, right? What it means to be, like I said, what it means to be a great salesperson is changing significantly, right? And right. I think 
that that will take take a while for people to recognize that having a great dinner with your customers may not be as important anymore as sending good text messages or write text yeah. me- it just it's changing right and so maybe that, there's that, the right. end to confirmation bias as well <laughs> on people's performance which is <laughs> right. uh, covid gave everybody an excuse to throw that out the window right I've got to say, I could listen to you both for many more hours. We only have a limited amount of time. But as you know, we all know Dow has the ambition to be the most innovative, customer-centric, inclusive, and sustainable material science company in the world. And as I'm reflecting on our conversation and listening to both of your genius, it's so clear to me how digital innovation can really advance all of these touchstones. And so I just want to thank you both for, for being here, for sharing your insights, and really for forging ahead in the space that is both complicated, but also very necessary. So thank you very much for being here. And to listeners, we want to hear your thoughts about today's episode. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen on. I'm Eva Saha. Thank you for listening to the Seek Together podcast, and we hope you'll join us again next time. This is the Seek Together podcast. Thank you for tuning in. 